Zatoichi. 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 Welcome to the Blade Runner podcast. We are dedicated to all things Rutger Hauer. I am your host, Patrick, and with me is my co-host, Jason. Hey, you know, that actually works for an intro to this, uh, the Blind Posman is at Tuichi podcast, because Blade Runner, and this guy has a blade in the movie, right? And he runs. Yep. And he runs, yeah. Actually, yeah. he doesn't really run so much as he kind of just trots, but still, I mean... Yeah, he anyway. trots in loose-fitting khakis. So, uh, how are you doing, Jason? Um, it's been a, it's been a week, but then again, like this year, every week has been a week. So, um, yeah, just this week I can is... escape into these films and enjoy some Chambara every now and again. I, I would argue that this has been one of the more exceptionally shitty weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, every week's a week now. So how have you been? It's kind of, I've been okay. I've been all right. Good. You know, just surviving. Uh, so tonight we're going over Blind Fury, um, which is kind of a Zatoichi movie, um, starring Rutger Hauer, uh, directed by Philip Nice, um, and was written by, strangely enough, the guy who wrote uh, a Zatoichi Challenge, except it says earlier screenplay. So um, I don't know if that's indicating um, that he wrote an early draft or if they're referring to the screenplay for Zatoichi Challenged. Um, the actual screen story was written by Charles Robert Carner, who wrote um, uh, the great film uh, Larry, Ka- Larry the Cable Guy's Witness Protection. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Philip Nice, uh, I'm sure that's not how his name is pronounced, um, also gave us a couple gems like Salt and the Bone Collector and a bunch of Harrison Ford as a uh, uh, a Patriot Man and Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, he also directed an episode of the remake of Roots, I guess. That's cool. Huh. I never saw that, but... Anyway, um, so yeah, this is uh, the reason why we're covering this movie, of course, we talked about um, last week, is that this is actually... It says it's loosely based on Zatuichi Challenged, but it's pretty... I don't know. It's pretty thoroughly Zatoichi challenged. Um, um, yeah, yeah, more or less. Like in Zatoichi challenged, our last uh, film that we talked about, our more recent film that we talked about from the Zatoichi original series, um, it follows Zatoichi helping people in need. In this case, a uh, recently orphaned child. He meets the mother before taking on this young ward and vows to take this uh, young boy to his dad who, as far as Atuichi knows, is only, like, a couple of counties over. A couple of counties. Uh, a couple of... A couple of counties, like, um, from Florida to Nevada, but... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, like, um, a couple of regions over, oh. and that's all, but he comes to find out that the dad has been uh, dealing in illegal contraband. In this movie, Blind Fury, the inspiration taken from that previous storyline is that Rudger Hauer 
um, who plays Nick Parker, is a Vietnam vet who we get an origin part here in the first part of the film where you see how Nick Parker loses his eyesight, is taken in by a local community in Vietnam, and they take to his handicap. They understand that he has a handicap, and they teach him to get along with the handicap, uh, specifically by a, a stout swordsman in this village who teaches him how to use a katana, the cane sword that Satoichi had used. Not I the actually same found one. this to be one of the more interesting things about this movie because you only kind of vaguely hear about how Zatuichi got the skills that he did. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was, I thought like the training sequence was very cool, especially with like the melon and um, when he was learning how to use the sword and how he just kind of um, uh, girlfriend hugged that guy after they were done training. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> like where he rested his chin on top of the guy's head. I actually thought a lot of that like for his as hammy as it is to have like uh such a cross-cultural thing or as hammy as it could have been i guess i should say they did it pretty well uh for as hammy as the rest of this movie is that's what i'm getting at like this scene the first 15 minutes doesn't feel like the rest of the film so if you ever start watching this movie and you're like hey this isn't that bad well hang on tight because it yeah. gets pretty bad <laughs> but i was feeling pretty optimistic in the first 10 minutes like, yeah I was like, oh this this actually could be kind of promising. Um, even after uh, um, the instance with uh, um, when he gets to Florida, especially when he's hitchhiking and he runs into that alligator and says, nice doggy, which I thought was like kind of a very Zatoichi thing to do. Um, I mean, it, it's I can't I can't really fault Rucker Hauer because like he does play a pretty decent Zatoichi. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, he's surprisingly really good with all of like the movements and like, um, he he's a little stiff facial expression wise compared to uh, Shintaro Katsu. Um, he kind of gets like the same sort of jokes that Zatoichi would make. So I think like he kind of captures it as well as like, you know, I think anyone could outside of just straight up imitating Shintaro Katsu. Yeah, and according to the background of this film, Rutger Hauer studied with a blind person and said that was like one of the more difficult roles he had to do just because he wasn't used to it. Like he's so accustomed to sight and he took it for, took it for granted. Yeah. That um, just, the, yeah. It didn't take the fact that he doesn't ever really look anyone directly in the face. I mean, like it was pretty realistic is like even like Shintaro Katsu and like the first Atuichi movie had a little bit of trouble being convincingly blind, you know? Yeah. Um, I recall him, like, very specifically doing things that, like, a blind person, and I'm not an expert on blind people, uh, obviously. I mean, I run a podcast about them, but um, I, I can't, like, say that, like, I really know what it's like or in depth, like, what being blind um, entails, but, like, he he does do a pretty good job. I mean, like, he's a good actor, so I wasn't, like, expecting him to do poorly. No, neither was I. I mean, I'm a Rutger Hauer fan, as we were talking about before starting recording. And, yeah, he does what he can with this. Uh, the story, though, to get back to that really quick, does follow the Zatoichi Challenged in pretty much a, well, not beat for beat, 
Like you say, he does make his way back to Florida, but it seems kind of unmotivated. Like we see his origin scene cuts 20 years later to like 1989. I guess it's it was modern day back then. And he's in Florida. Uh, he wants to reconnect with an old army buddy. And uh, on the way there, he meets up with, uh, as he learns, the ex-wife of said army buddy. And that's when things start taking off into a very very 80s action flick low budget action flick tone and yeah again this is where like any high hopes for the film went crashing through the window like so many randall tex cobs yeah um there there were the, one of the things i think they did kind of improve on is i thought at least later on the sword play was a little bit better than um what you get in some Zatoichi movies, especially when he goes up against uh, the uh, de facto uh, challenger, the the assassin, as he does not have a name, um, who is, uh, as I mentioned before we start recording, played by Sho Kusugi, whose name I'm sure I'm butchering right now. But um, yeah, it's... Um, uh, yeah, it kind of goes out the window at this point. Um, it turns into just like a 1980s drug action movie. Um, yeah, as you find the, out, the father has been held captive. Uh, he's a advanced chemist, but he's being held captive in Reno, Nevada. A very, it just seemed unusual for a place to be uh, in this film. But he's being held up in a hotel room there making some illicit drug. I guess it's meth. It almost looks like... Um, it looks like the shit from Breaking Bad. Yeah, like uh, Blue Sky. That's that's what I was thinking. This feels like Gustavo Fring story arc from uh, Blue Sky uh, from uh, Breaking Bad. But he's and played say, by Terry O'Quinn from Lost. Right. Remember and, from that. And they say in um, they say in uh, what's it called in the uh, the vill the McCurry McCurry I don't know the the guy who wants these drugs made McCurry. Um, McCready mentions explicitly that um, it's a designer drug, which is essentially saying like it could really just be anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pretty much. yeah, it's whatever you want it to be, audience. So it's a yeah. very dangerous drug. Whatever you feel like, and whatever whatever drug is in your heart is what it is. Yeah, and it will be in your heart because that's how you ingest it. And he like, uh, we get background on this character also. Like usually, if somebody's in trouble in a Zatoichi film. Zatuichi finds them at their moment of need. Like he doesn't we don't really get much backstory on these characters. However, in this, we see uh Frank Devereaux, the army buddy, the lost army buddy to Nick Parker, being held by his ankles on top of a uh on top of a casino. Um. And, and instead <laughs> of the mom dying from consumption like in the previous film, like the mom dies she of just, illness in the Zatuichi towns. Just straight got. She gets got in this movie. Yeah. Uh, this, Pretty brutally, too. This henchman is called from in Reno, played by uh, Randall Tex Cobb. You might know him as the biker from Raising Arizona. He was also in a number of other films. He's like just a tough-looking dude, this ex-professional uh, fighter. Will not die, by the way. Will not die. He By the name of Slag. Slag does not die. And this is where I knew that the movie was taking up was just heading south because Randall Tex Cobb enters the scene with two cops. So the ex-wife has answered the door and is, it's this tense moment 
where she doesn't really know what they want, but they're looking for the kid. They're like, oh, he's wanted. So she's got to trust these cops. But there's this weird guy with him, um, this Tex Cobb looking guy. And he pulls out a shotgun, shoots the mom in the side for really no reason, you know? Right. And one of the cops that has been like, you know, bribed or coerced into doing this says, that wasn't part of the deal, Slag. And Slag tells him to shut up. And then the cop does like the hammiest reaction you'll ever see in in cinema, where he just like his eyes widen and he kind of like shakingly nods like, ooh, I guess I better agree to this, even though there's two of us and one of this guy and we just witnessed a murder. You know, <laughs> this is it's a very weird very 80s action sequence and it pretty much sets the tone for the rest of the film and and you know the thing is is like well first of all i was a little weirded out to find out later those were actual like cops like i thought maybe it was just like more henchmen um dressed up as cops but that's neither here nor there um but what also is kind of strange is like um i i guess like his character is almost like, even though he's supposed to be like really sinister, he's very hammy and he's hammy because like he, he like even like, even when like he, that scene is over, he basically yells that he'll essentially have his revenge and then he throws himself out of a window, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was very cartoony. Yeah. See all um, that butter knife does against bullets. There's a lot of weird lines in this movie. Um, and a There's lot of that. violence, too, because, like, one of the first uses of the sword is in that scene. Uh, and Nick Parker just straight up slices one of the cop's hands off with the gun still in it. Yeah, which is the only, like, actual gore you get throughout this whole movie. Um, just, like, do you remember the uh, do you remember the scene in, uh, I think it was that Tuichi Challenge where, like, a guy just gets his arm pulled out? Um. There were a few films in the more violent era of the year that we previously saw where, like, I remember the guy having his hand on a lantern on a on a uh, uh, a, a shaking ship and just to keep balance. And Zatuichi cut that off. Yeah. He decapitated um, a guy. Yeah, there's been some violence, but Zatuichi challenged. I don't remember being like as gory as this film, but this was the late 80s. So we're at this point right now. Meg Foster, who played the mom, uh, you've seen her in a billion things, uh, dead. Um, the kid doesn't know because he went to go lit, conveniently went to go take a walk before all of this went down. Um, and now it's just Satuichi, at, or not Satuichi, Jesus, uh, Nick and uh, this kid. And okay, so we're going to talk. Where does this kid rank in the pantheon of? Uh, Zatoichi child actors. He's as he's as annoying as the kid in uh, Zatoichi Challenged, which is impressive because uh, I did not think that anybody could match that kid's obnoxiousness. Did I mention uh, earlier that like I could tell you the exact point this movie went off rails was uh, right when it cut from Miami to Reno, where uh, Frank was being held by his feet off of that building. Cause like you get that first confrontation in the beginning of the movie where he encounters that gang in a diner and then just kind of like does some cool tricks and knocks him out and saves that lady's purse, which was a pretty Zatoichi thing to do. And, um, then it goes off rails to 
the whole plot with the blue crystal drugs and uh, anywho uh yeah this kid's an annoying little shit too and it, it's used persistently an annoying little shit throughout the whole movie he even does things that um uh annoying little shit things that the annoying little shit kid did in zatuichi challenged um for example he feeds him a rock <laughs> which is taken right from the other movie um he also exclaims that he doesn't need a window seat because he's blind when they're taking a bus. There's no caravans as there were in Zatuichi Challenge because, of course, this is 1980s America and not 1800s Japan. Um, so there's a lot of bus riding in this movie. A lot, a lot of this movie takes place on buses. Yeah, it's Bus Fury was the original yeah. working title. Uh, this is that's true. I didn't consider like how that reflected the caravan sequences. I guess because those caravan sequences were interrupted by action. Right. Like, there was that scene where there's another horde coming at them. Uh, or, or there's another mob boss. That's what it was. And I guess that's what we were just trying to say earlier, where this film is a bit cleaner. Uh, you know, actually, I was just saying before, it just dawned on me just how many buses are in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. I think greyhound had fucking money in it or something because the the ending is a bus trip so anyway um yeah you this is a pretty straightforward plot um evil drug lord slash casino guy um uh kidnaps his friend he goes to rescue friend uh also trying to kidnap son which i think is weird that they keep like persistently trying to kidnap this son like it's like necessary to the completion of these drugs even though despite the fact that they already have him captured like there's literally no reason whatsoever for them to keep pursuing like this kid like they have him locked in the laboratory there's not really much more they can do you know um it, it's also kind of funny how like they sort of play off that like rutger hauer is like detrimental to the survival of their drug production like they like how like um, I mean, obviously, because he is in pursuit of Frank, like, that's a problem, but also, like, they're acting like, um, they're acting like, uh, how do I put it, that he's, like, directly disrupting their drug distribution, too, or, like, he's the reason why they can't, like, get loans from the bank, which is also, like, a weird thing that kind of comes into play later. Yeah, it, everything's pretty forced in this film. I guess the point of the mobsters that they didn't want like any loose ends to their production site right like if they if this kid wants to see his dad how are they going to address that when they can no longer find him do they like if they put out a missing persons for this guy um because in reno they have it on lockdown they've got like this uh um frank's new lady friend she's aware of the situation is kind of a liaison to uh frank's home life and his uh, imprisonment in servitude at the uh, hotel at the I'm lab. I'm so confused who that girl was. Like, I thought she was a laboratory assistant at first because she was kind of dressed like a sexy laboratory assistant. Okay. <laughs> yeah, instead <laughs> so... of like instead of the uh, uh, floor waitress, whatever it is, yeah. it's called like in in uh, Nevada casinos. Is that so... literally what she was? Yeah, like she had the stockings on and everything oh okay i was only like i kind of just glanced over and i thought she was wearing like um well actually to be honest i kind of thought she was a prostitute at first like but 
I don't know. Like, I just could not make out what her relationship with that dude was until later. And even then, like, I was still kind of confused. And even that was, yeah, that was perplexing, too, because she was at his apartment when Nick Parker shows up with uh, Billy, Frank's son. He's like, hey, I'm here with my ex, uh, my uh, army compatriots kid. I'm, I'm really blanking on words today. I'm so sorry. But uh, it's like, uh, my teammate's kid where can I find him? And she acts as though nothing's wrong and sells out the two. Like these two thugs were waiting in the apartment. These two comic relief thugs, I guess I should say, one of whom is played by uh, Nick Cassavetes, who's like John, John, John Cassavetes' son. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> and they've got a bunch of like weird, goofy lines. Like they're supposed to be brothers and it's, I get like it's supposed to be funny, but it's like it's unusual to have the comic relief be two kidnapping ne'er do wells who are kind of perverts. Like once they kidnap this lady friend, they're like being really gross towards her, and yet we're supposed to think that they're funny. Like they're being shot at by uh, these two old women who they just carjacked, and one of them remarks, one of the uh, two. Uh, thugs remarks this is why i always vote for gun control there's also that part in the end where one of them sh accidentally shoots the other one in the arm and then he retaliates by shooting the other one in the head yeah which is a really fucked up thing to do to your brother <laughs> yeah it's really strange but i think they're playing on this dumb hillbilly uh caricature as as most of these people are in the film most of the henchmen are these like hillbilly redneck types yeah, except for, um, what's his name, Hog? Slag. Slag, who, um, after a confrontation with uh, Rutger Hauer in a cornfield, which I think admittedly was kind of a cool sequence, um, is literally resurrected in the rain. Like, later on, there's a storm and he rises from the dead, uh, revealing that he was wearing a, um, a vest, which, if you look at the part where he's like, He's kind of like laying down on a roof with a shotgun, like sniping with a shotgun, which automatically doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to begin with. Um, uh, there's a part where he's uh, he's sitting up a little bit, and you can clearly see that like his shirt is starting to like kind of pull apart, and he's not wearing a vest. So like they edit, they essentially just have this like magical vest that sort of just shows up on him that uh is how he didn't get murdered by Rutger Hauer did you notice that too no no um though I did like that sequence I liked the running through the corn stalks it was pretty reminiscent of some of the uh really like some of the running scenes that we've seen in other Zatoichi films I think one thing to comment on here is that it does a lot of things almost beat for beat from Zatoichi films but they're trying to market this towards like ladies action, low budget fans. Like uh, in the same way that Zatuichi runs through forests in some scenes and it's impressive because he's a, a blind person like navigating heavily forested area. We've got that with Nick Parker running through these cornfields, taking out uh, a couple of thugs who are looking for him. Right. Um, the, the rock candy scene where that it's almost done beat for beat where he like swishes around in his mouth. He's, studying it's a rock pretends to swallow it but then immediately spits it out at the kid and 
then there's even like a gambling scene here that we'll get to where uh nick parker is trying to get some money or he's trying to create a diversion and he studies a roulette wheel game it's not a dice game but it's a roulette game and using like his superior hearing he's able to understand how they're rigging the game and shows it for what it is much in the same way that zatuichi would hell there's even a scene that we see him eating you know <laughs> like yeah. the very first scene is him like chowing down on a burrito and talking with his mouthful, which is a very Zatoichi thing. And now, one thing Rutger Howard doesn't do well is interacting with children, because the scene yeah. after the scene after he mentions that uh, um, he finally reveals to the kid that his mother is dead, which he kept a secret to him for a bit of time. Um, they're camping out, um, and he's just kind of touching this kid, and he's like, oh, you have a strong chin nice shoulders he's like you're gonna be a very very powerful man and it's like this is a nightmare like yeah this, that and like... this kid is hanging out this almost orphan is camping out with this fucking homeless guy who keeps touching him and telling him how handsome he's gonna be yeah um every every scene that's supposed to be a sincere or dramatized scene between Roger Hauer and this child actor are the most uncomfortable scenes I think I've witnessed with child actors and uh, in general action films like this one. I mean, Kindergarten Cop. Let's take that for example. Right. Like Schwarzenegger will rush in and be like, are you okay? All right, well, I got to chase the bad guy now. In this one, like they're not, you know, doing friendly safe touch padding or anything like Rutger Hauer's face is right up against this kid's face for no very good reason. There's also my favorite line. He's, he touches him and he's like, tears. Good. <laughs> oh, it's strange. It's so uncomfortable to watch. Strong men cry, Mr. Lebowski. Strong men cry. Yeah. Like when I watch the trailer for this and they're having this heart to heart about like what it means to cry and how like Rutger Hauer's character doesn't cry anymore because his tear ducts were seared shut, I guess. I no, he says that part of him is broken. He cries at the end of the film, oh. of course. Of course he does. Like, we, he's got sunglasses on, but he's got, like, tears going oh. down his, like, high cheekbone. I'm not sure how that tear works, but... When, when he said um, when he said that part of him doesn't work anymore, I thought he was referring to the injury. Like, I thought, like, the blast of whatever the fuck it was that happened to him in Vietnam... Uh, sealed his tear ducts or something oh, no, i don't think it was literal i think he was talking about like the pain of being an adult <laughs> oh. this kid but uh he, he could have worded that better to make it seem more in line with that because like like i said like you know he got he was blind from an injury there was a lot of fire i don't know what kind of fucking injury it was but i mean it looked pretty bad anyway let's continue i'm sorry yeah well it Okay, the other uncomfortable scene with this kid, if I can just dwell on this for a second, is the last one. Uh, recreating the ending of Zatoichi Challenge, the kid does, in this film, also go after uh, the, Nick, the Zatoichi character of this film, Nick Parker. Um, right. Which is rare. Like We usually don't see this, the scene in Zatoichi films, as we did in Zatoichi Challenge, where the, the, um, the saved person in distress gets to see Zatoichi again and talk to him as he's on his way out. Usually he just pieces out and that's the end of that chapter. 
But in that film, that kid actually does catch up to Zatoichi. He's like, you can't leave. We need you here. And he's like, no, you got your dad now. Get away from me. Forget about me. I'm not your uncle, Zat, uh, your uncle Ichi anymore. And it kind of ends in like a heartbreak where Zatoichi actually has to pretty much tear the bandage off, you know, of that right. relationship. And we get that in this one, but it's based in like 80s sentimentality. And it's, again, this is the most uncomfortable one because he lifts Billy up to his face, gets right up on there, and he's like, listen, Billy, you know I'm very fond of you. And I was just like, ah, oh, please let this yeah. end. <laughs> I'm very fond of you. Have you ever... I can't even I've, imagine those I've words like being expressed to, another, to a child. I've never said I've to I've never a said to another human being, I'm very fond of you. I've so. said it to a pet before. Yeah. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've looked my dog dead in its eye sockets and said, I'm very fond of you, Kiki. But that was that was it. I'm never saying those words to anybody. Um, Especially not to a child that isn't yours. <laughs> it was like the end of uh, Lost in Translation. Like, where Bill Murray whispers something to Scarlett Johansson. Oh, that would be so cool if that was the ending of this movie. He just whispers something in the kid's ear. Oh, man, it would have been so much better. Then I'd have to think about, I'm very fond of you being whispered by him. Yeah, real weird line. Real weird exchange. But again, for the most part, like, except for that, uh, lines up with the uh, unique part of Zatouille Challenge of uh, having that exchange ever take place. Of a leaving hero. Um, what else was there? We covered the gambling, the eating. Um, um, there's no, I... there's no uh, woman of interest in this film. He's he doesn't like take on the same tropes of Zatuichi of being this uh, ladies' man, not a womanizer or anything like that. Is um, okay. So uh, I guess we could get to the ski palace. <laughs> Oh yeah, this um... the villain owns a, a, a Bond villain esque mansion up in a mountain. Yeah, we, so I guess similarly there is a mob boss, not exactly a Kuza boss, but a mob boss in Reno, and he uh, ranges for a last encounter at the uh, at the ski resort, the ski lift. Yeah, I, right. it's not it's not quite a ski resort though. It looks like. Yeah, it looks like the Bond complex from any given Bond film where they're on a mountaintop. And judging by when they show one of the uh, villains um, going out of a window off a cliff, it is on the highest mountain in the planet. It's apparently on Mount Everest because he falls really fucking far. Yeah, the uh, there is that final assassin showdown. The assassin that we had not seen at all before in this film but they wanted to have in there, I guess, because Zatuichi also, like, he always fights a Ronin in the end of his films before taking on the Yakuza boss. It's uh, brought up, it's brought up, too, because the, the I'm just going to call him the, the Yakuza boss, because that's essentially what he is. Yeah. Um, he, he tells his assistant to hire Bruce Lee, in which, you know, for a comedic effect, because Bruce Lee is not alive at this point. Hilarious. He says, Bruce Bruce Lee is dead, and he's like, well, get his brother. They never explain who the guy is, so was the movie implying that was Bruce Lee's brother? No, I mean, even <laughs> if it's like, even if there's like subtle racism in it, there's overt racism when he's, like, Nick Parker starts fighting the guy in this katana blade off, 
Because why not? I mean, the right. Yakuza boss is like, I paid a lot of money to see this. Because, you know, he's a dumb hick. And who who's hired, a, like, an expensive assassin to fight to the death with blades against a blind guy. And mid-fight, Nick Parker has touched his opponent's face, this Japanese man's face, and remarks, oh, you're Japanese. Yeah, what the what fuck the is that fuck? supposed to mean? Uh, oh, you're... Your eyes are a little different than the other ones that I was around. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, this is... And we were talking about this beforehand. Like, the first 15 minutes of the film, pretty promising. But then the rest of this reminds me of, like, all the 80s action films that I don't like. Yeah, like, when the I was... stuff that I think of the 80s, I'm like, I shudder a bit because I remember what a gross time that was. Not that... Like... I should mention... I should mention when I was texting you in a very... Uh... Um, optimistic way earlier I was still within the like first 10 minutes of the movie so. yeah oh naturally yeah I didn't think that there was any teasing with that but scenes like that and then when he's there's another promising scene where like the lights go out in this small confined space where is that tweet or excuse me Nick Parker is meeting his enemies and they're like it's dark in here and then he says darkness is my home kind of like the darkness is my ally line that Zatuichi right. does cool love it but then he just starts taking these guys out looks pretty good and he takes out one guy in classic 80s action film fashion how do you emasculate another man by doing it as literally as possible and he just like sticks the sword upwards through his groin oh. and there's a weird shot of it like totally unnecessary yeah, it's uh, uh, I don't know. Like some of the some of the scenes, and I mean, like a lot of these scenes were very questionable. Uh, the whole, I know this is supposed to be like a yuck yuck, but he cuts off a guy's eyebrows, and then he's like, "I also do circumcisions." There's a lot of uh, dick threatening in this movie. <laughs> it was the '80s again. I, I I have no excuses for it. I had no part of it. Um, the eyebrow scene, though, again, that was from Zatuichi Challenged, where Zatuichi cuts off uh, that one guy's eyebrows. Oh, yeah. At the beginning of the film. So, yeah, yeah, like, they got, like, all these... They got so much stuff right, but then they got so much stuff wrong in this film, too. Uh, just kind of a bummer. And and most of all, like, one thing we always cherish in these Zatuichi films, we're always like, oh, that score was awesome, you know? Oh, the music sucks ass in this movie. This movie, whoo boy! I <sighs> can I can I plug my other podcast real quick? Yeah. So Jason is going to be on uh, the new episode of the All Kill Cast, and one of the things we're doing is uh, I made him a custom tailored playlist of uh, songs that we're going to go over. Yeah. And Jason just texted me with, "Hey, so this music sucks," and I was for a second there, I wasn't sure which one he was talking about. <laughs> No, no, no. Your your catered list was excellent. I was talking directly about this movie's music. I, I was about to be like, shit, dude, save it for the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, you're you're good on the other one. This one, uh, I would blame whoever I could find who had done the music, but I don't see if there was any... I can't find anybody who was um, cast. It was an intern, I'm sure. Oh, um, boy. A TriStar. Hey, did you know that fucking um, Nick Cassavetes directed The Notebook? I did not know that. Yeah, that's weird. That's a weird thing for Lyle Pike to go on to do. <laughs> oh, you know what? 
Um, sorry, I just found out who did the music for this. It's a uh, Hitler. No, <laughs> J. Peter Robinson, and he went on to do quite a number of films, um, including Wayne's World. Huh. Just like a few years after this, and the TV show Erie, Indiana. Okay, so he had like an off day making the soundtrack for this movie because it sounds very 80s. I believe that you remarked like once that soundtrack hit after the first 15 minutes, you're like, okay, so we're in Miami, Florida. And then the title card comes up saying Miami, Florida, because it's just I, that I recognizable. Even, I wasn't even so much as looking at the screen. I just heard the music. I was like, we're in fucking Florida. I know it. it it's that weirdly synthesized 80s sound that you can only get from like, 87 to 89 and um i i can't think of like a good way to describe it but it is just the most artificial sounding thing that wants to be music um try so hard and it doesn't it just does not hit the bill yeah uh oh boy okay so um the the assassin is dead at this point he is in a hot tub that is, uh, um, what happened? Was it a light fixture fell into it and just turned it into a big pool of electricity? Yeah, naturally. Yeah. So, of course, you know, that's how he dies. And then, um, Zatuichi, not Zatuichi, um, then confronts, uh, the big henchman whose name escapes me again. Slag. And then proceeds to cut him in half. But it sends him through a, uh, um, it sends him through a window down the cliff. Which actually, I don't think this was a ski lodge because that mountain does not look suitable for skiing at all. Like it, it literally just looks like a nightmare mountain that has snow on it, and then there's just a house on top of it. Um, so he goes through the window, uh, and as he's falling, his body falls in half, which made me think, why does that look so familiar? Turns out it's exactly the same way Darth Maul dies in, Fa in The Phantom Menace, which wasn't made until 1999, which means George Lucas watched this movie and said, that was a cool sequence. I'm going to put it in my film, too. Yeah, I mean, more than likely, 10 years later, he saw this and thought, you know what? That looks good, but I can make it look better. And not only paint. that... But going back to what you said, um, the scene where the lights go out <clears throat> and somebody says it's dark and Rucker Howard's like, that's where I live. There's also that part in fucking The Dark Knight Rises where Bane says, oh, I, he's like, I, what was it? It was like, I grew up in the dark or something. Yeah, something like that. Which I'm sure is probably me grasping for straws, but like, it, it'd be really weird if Christopher Nolan referenced this movie. <laughs> I think it's weird that anybody would reference this film. Um, and yeah, that the way this film wraps up is, is pretty strange, but again, it does feel like a Zatoichi film where despite like all this horrific stuff that's happened, uh, the dad's been reunited with his son. He's happily together with this woman who had just sold him out ever so briefly. Right. They're on their way to San Francisco, which on a is bus. on a bus. Yeah, on, on a, a bus. A caravan it up, uh, expecting uh, Nick to join them. And as discussed earlier, Nick which dodges is odd out. Which he's very far back in line from them, too. So, like, even if he did join them, like, he would be sitting, like, nowhere near them. So it's like, yeah, our friend's going to come, but we're just not going to talk to him for the entire ride. Yeah, which could be 
part and parcel of why Nick decided to split anyway. He's like, oh, this is awkward. I can't be on this bus ride seats away from my old army buddy. I'm that's a six-hour fucking ride, too. Oh, you just look it up? Yeah, that's a ways, man. Yeah, but they made the right decision. To go to San Francisco in 89, not a bad choice. That's before no, the real world hit. It should be a, a fine place to live, unlike now. You think the real world is the reason why San Francisco is a, a fucking pit of inequality? Uh, <laughs> it was probably the start. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch Some... of like soon-to-be tech billionaires were like, you know what would be a cool place? I was watching the real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was before like Macintosh had its huge rebirth and all that stuff, so... I kind of blame uh, Full House, to be honest. I mean, like, that place, that show really made that place seem like an appealing uh, appealing uh, town to move to, especially considering it seemed like you could get a lot of people in one of those, like, uh, one of those houses that I'm sure cost over a fuck million dollars. Is that all? Or yeah. How many Rio would that be? I mean, several fuck million dollars. Okay. Well... Several fuck million Rio, but... Yeah, so they're happily on their way to San Francisco. Nick Parker pieces out um, and lovingly cradles a clay triceratops that uh, Billy was um, creating earlier in the film. Right. As a tear slowly rolls down his cheek. Because he's learned to love again. Yeah, that part of him that was broken is now fixed. So he can yep. cry as much as his heart content. Um yeah, I, I mean, this is a very goofy film. It's it's clumsy. It's very reminiscent of, like, 1980s action. Watch it only if you love Rudger Hauer, because uh, bless that man. He does the best that he can with it, except for when he's acting with a child. Those scenes are all creepy, but I'm not going to put that on him. Surprisingly not easy to find streaming. This is not included in the Zatoichi Criterion Collection box set, in case anyone's wondering. Um, I think that's a huge misstep on Criterion's part. But oh, um, no, <laughs> um, we found it by some elect means. Um, we were both kind of uh, kind of hurting about the possibility of having to pay money to watch this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I want to go into it's a that. Up three dollars. <laughs> I don't want to go into that detail too much, but I would say like wait till it's on a reliable streaming service if you do want to watch this movie. Um, and I checked around like epics. Uh, Crackle, Crackle, I thought for sure would have this movie. It did not. You had to go into the sewers of streaming services to find this. Hey, and yeah, even with yeah Terry O'Quinn and Rudger Hauer in this, it does not garner like very much attention. Honestly, I, if we hmm? if we couldn't find a way to stream this, we should have just done Joe Dirt Two or something. Uh, nah, <laughs> no, I'd still do this one over Joe Dirt Two. And there was plan on making a sequel to this film after they had finished a principal shooting, but nothing ever came out of it. Yeah. It's, um, I think the idea was that this would lead into a franchise, just like the Zatoichi films. And then like it didn't. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Naturally that was a plan. I think that was pretty high hopes. Oh, we didn't even uh, talk about the, uh, the driving scene. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. yeah. The van. Yeah. The, I, the, uh, Female protagonists can't drive the van once they've escaped these two thugs after a close call with kidnapping. Because she lost her glasses. Yeah, they, yeah, her glasses are crushed. So Nick Parker's like, well, I'll drive. 
I don't need glasses, I'm blind. And he proceeds to just like cause so many traffic mishaps and near death experiences. And after like finally evading the uh, pursuer says, oh, I should get my driver's license. Okay, so sorry, I'm going to I'm going to put it down like this. So you have three different people who um, technically and I say technically in a very broad way can operate this motor vehicle. You have a lady who can't see very well without her glasses. You have a child who can see perfectly and you have a blind man who cannot see at all. So logically speaking, and this is just from experience. So when I was a little kid, my my aunt used to do meals on wheels. And so what we would do is we would drive around. She lived in a retirement neighborhood. because She was an older lady. And we would drive around her neighborhood. And what we would do is I would sit in her lap and I would operate the car while she operated the brakes and the acceleration. I would just do the steering because it was a fun thing. And, you know, we were in a, a neighborhood filled with nothing but old people and nobody was driving around anyway. Speaking logically, you think he would have the kid like sit in his lap, which is already, you know, uncomfortable, already adding to the uncomfortableness or something, or have like the kid sit with the lady or something. There's a bunch of different combinations they could have had with the one person who could see perfectly and still make this work as like kind of a comedic thing instead of just putting a blind guy into the driver's side of a van, you know? Yeah. But whatever, that's just me. Yeah, instead they just went with, hey, let's just put him in the driver's side of the van. And the kid kind of navigates, but that that entire bit loses steam and is forgotten about. Yeah, um, it's forgotten about because we forgot about it. So One thing I did not forget, though, uh, and I regret not bringing this up earlier, just in the subject of how awkward some of the lines are in this film, um, they're, when they're in the back of the van uh, after having been kidnapped, this is Nick Parker and child actor Billy or the uh, army buddy's child uh, Billy they're being tossed around because it's a van and they're like you know kind of tied up and being lumped around back there all these sharp turns and oh Jesus the frog sequence <laughs> the frog sequence how he tells him to get into the position of a frog and that means like sticking his like flipping upside down and sticking his crotch in Rucker Howard's face and shit. Oh, yeah. And then, like, that's how he gets <laughs> his hands free. And he's like, hey, I did it. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. This film, I don't think I can abide by this film. The more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm thinking that, like, they put that kid in some really weird situations. I don't really feel comfortable <laughs> about this film anymore. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this either. But uh, I wanted to remark on the line that Rudger Howard says when he's like, he's all he's trying to do is lift himself up from like a prone laying down position. And he goes, oh, too much linguine. I don't know why he said that. I They must have cut a scene where he was eating linguine like immediately before then. Why did he say that line? Did you also notice that when like the kid said he can't do whatever they like whatever he was asking, he was like, well, we're going to die. And he just sticks his head right onto the kid's lap. Uh... <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done talking about this film. Uh, so that's <laughs> blind fury and it's putting me into a blind fury. Why did this get made? This gross. Um, I'm I'm thinking that there's some real bizarre ulterior motives from the uh, director. Who is that? Philip Noyce. Philip Noyce. Um, 
You know, I, I feel like there were some good intentions to this movie when they say earlier screenplay of uh, the guy who wrote Zatoichi Challenge. I think they probably brought him on to write a remake, and he probably wrote a decent remake, and then it just went through whatever the fuck it is that happened to movies in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, and that's what we ended up getting. Yeah. Um, just this kind of hodgepodge fucking nightmare sequence of... Uh, of uh cocaine use and um hollywood child molestation i don't fucking know like i don't know what the deal with any of that shit was there's a lot of like weird movies from like that period of time that involved like um really strange implications of children being sexualized um one that kind of sticks out to me is this movie um with Michael Caine in it where he has an affair with his friend's daughter who is an adult, but mind you, there's, I will never ever forget this line for as long as I fucking live. Um, so there's a line in that movie where like Michael Caine mentions that he remembers when the girl was a baby, um, which is already fucking weird. And it gets weirder cause she's all like, Oh, what? She's like, how could you make a baby go into the throes of desire? And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's called Blame It on Rio. Okay. Yeah. Michael Caine should go to prison forever for being in that movie. Actually, no. It was directed by Stanley Donan. It stars Michael Caine. Everybody who was involved in this movie should be executed um everybody oh, so Valerie yeah. Parker, yeah um you know what everyone in this fucking movie should be executed too wait no, i don't agree with that i don't think rutger hauer was to blame for this okay rutger somebody hauer. has to pay for the crimes of this film rutger hauer should just do 25 to life oh, no. <laughs> Some, just somebody think of billy please think yeah. of his best interests because they um, were not that in this film so, uh, overall, uh, what are your final thoughts about Blind Fury? <laughs> Significantly worse than what I had going into it. Um, yeah, I, I am not going to recommend this film. Um, it's a very uncomfortable film. Much more uncomfortable now that we've explored a couple of the other more undesirable scenes of it. Uh, I'll tell you what I like about this film the poster for it looks like the cover to the NES game Bayou Billy. That's kind of cool. <laughs> that's a very that's a plus, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, um, but even to Zatoichi fans, I would consider passing on this. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of I'm a sucker for remakes, and I don't mean that in a sense that like I like like remakes i'm just i'm more fascinated by like what differences there's going to end up being between like let's say uh the americanized version compared to like it's uh it's you know original counterpart i i actually sat down and watched old boy the spike lee version um which was a mistake um so i i was intrigued to watch this i was a bit surprised how accurate to zatoichi challenged it was but accuracy doesn't necessarily denote quality because this movie sucked ass um there's a lot of problems with it rucker howard did fine everything else was just kind of shitty and it was just like every low budget kind of shitty action movie that they were putting out at the time 
Um, hey, can I say one more thing about Blame It on Rio? I just yeah. looked at the IMDb page, and you know how IMDb pages have user list? Yeah. Yeah, one of the user lists is called Ah Erection Movies. So I guess that wraps it up for the blind pausemen. Let's <laughs> <laughs> oh. just... Let's just go back to Zatoichi films. Um, yeah. Don't worry. I think that Full was the stuff. last of them. So I think after this, it's all Zatoichi from here on out. So good. All right. Oh, yeah. Um, nope. Look forward to our next one then. How about that? Yeah. Look forward to uh, Zatoichi. And the Fugitives, plural. Oh, boy. I think that's the one that has our theme song in it. Alrighty. Yeah. It, it's cool. a good one, folks. Excited. Stick with us. That fucking badass theme song. I'm really, really, really pumped. Okay, so that does it for the Blind Podsman. Uh, Jason, do you have anything you want to plug before we sign off? Sure. You can check me out on uh, Pool Party Radio. It's my other podcast where I just talk about general topics with buddy Parker Bowman. He's been a guest on this show, and he also hosts the Junk Food Dinner podcast. So if you're a fan of uh, other forms of cult cinema, um, that's the podcast for you. Sincerely surprised we couldn't get him on this episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know why. I figured this would, you know, be something he'd be interested in, but whatever. Um, yeah, so uh, you can catch me on the All Kill cast, which is a uh, K-pop podcast, which Jason's going to be on in about 20 minutes. So, uh, so Jason's yeah. going to be on that. Um, yeah, that really does it for me. So, and that I'm assuming does it for you. So for the blind podsman, I am Patrick, um, for Rutger Hauer, for Billy, um, and Jason. Good night. セミがセミがなくおきっちゃならねえ人切った時には目先が真っ暗になっちまう <笑>目先や花から真っ暗だよ風に追われたさすらいものよ死んで一人一人旅バカなやつらに手向け
morir, como Dios.